Now we have another extremely interesting guest, and uh, she hails from uh, the north of Ireland this time, from Oma, County Tyrone. And we've got Claire Bowes on the phone, I hope. Good morning, Claire. Good morning. Can you hear me? You're very, very welcome to. Hello. Can you hear me? Hello. Yes, yeah. can you hear me? I can indeed. You're very welcome to Scarif Bay Community Radio and thank you so much for coming on to talk to us this morning. Uh, Claire, you, you have a, a very interesting story, if that's that's one way to put it. But in 1998, your life changed completely, didn't it? Yes, it did. What, um, what happened to you on I, August 1998? I lost, I lost my sight as a result of the Oma bomb. So um, once the bomb exploded, I lost my sight instantly and have never, never been able to see since then. Yeah. And you were a very young girl at the time. You were only 15. I was, yeah. So I was in the middle of of my school. Um, It was just sort of towards the end of summer here. Um, So I was ready, getting ready to start my, my fifth year in school, which is kind of, G- it's GCSE year here in Northern Ireland, so <clears throat> an important me, year, kind of equivalent to your junior, sir. Yes, yeah. Mm-hmm. And Claire, I I was listening to the podcast which Maliki Kush did with you recently, but I had heard your interview before. But you said that it took a long time for you to realise that you had actually lost your sight, because there were several operations immediately following uh, the incident. Isn't that right? Yeah. I knew I knew straight away. I couldn't see straight away, but I initially thought it was like dust and dirt in my eyes. I never for one second thought it would be permanent. Yeah. Um, and it would have been the next day that I was made aware that I had actual injuries to my eyes. But it was the, I lost my right eye as a result, um, which at 15 I was devastated about because, of course, you think appearance is so important. Yes, so important for a young girl. Yeah. didn't want to look mm-hmm. different. Yeah, so, yeah. And it's only when something like that happens do you realise that it really doesn't matter. Yeah. Um, and then it was actually the 11th of September 1998 was my final operation at that stage. And that was to try and restore some sight in my left eye. Um, so it was following that that I was told the operation hadn't been a success and I wouldn't see again. Now, I don't like to bring you back um, how you felt at that time, but can you remember what was your your overriding emotion after that? Uh, um, I didn't really feel anything at, at that initial time. Um, I suppose once the bomb happened, I was taken straight to hospital. And it was very much, in many ways, avoidance. You know, they offered to bring in a TV. They offered to tell me about what was going on. And I didn't want to know. So all I was hearing about it was from sort of small bits from family and friends of what they were telling me of you know, what was happening in Oma and the devastation. But I was, I didn't want to know a lot of it. So no. I suppose there was a lot of denial in, in some ways. And I just wasn't ready to, to deal with that. Um, and then even when my consultant told me, that I wouldn't see again. Um, I, I didn't know how I felt. And even after he left and my mom said to me, you know, how do you feel about this? I said, I don't know. Because it was just such an enormity to try and deal with. I, I, I just couldn't, I didn't feel anything, if that makes sense. Oh, it does at make that sense. At that stage. And yeah. 
Yeah, and then, you know, my mum said to me, she said, well, Claire, we have two ways to look at this. She said, which, when you look at it, like, she, it was huge strength for her too because, like, I was the oldest, or I am the oldest of five children. Um, so huge deal for my parents to go through as well. Um, so she said to me, Claire, we have two ways to look at this. We can feel sorry for ourselves. And as soon as she said that, I said, no way. And uh, she said, well, then we have no choice but to find a way of of getting on with it um and that's what i tried to do from that moment on and it wasn't always easy um you know there huge emotions followed i suppose in the time after that um sort of the reality of it all and um even sort of the the trauma of of everything that happened and um you know that all sort of came after that I really can't even imagine what you went through. I just want to say now, because we have uh, my co-host, Marianne Purcell, and also we've got Eleanor Skelly joining us this morning. So they'll be wanting to ask you a few questions in a minute. But I just no wanted problem. to point out, your mum was a doctor in the hospital and she, she was an she enormous was support to you. Sorry? Yeah, yeah, she's, radiographer. She's yeah. a radiographer. Yeah. yeah. So she was actually working on that day. Um, oh, God. Yeah. That, yeah, she was on call. And um, had actually just come home because um, it was a Saturday. So she had just arrived home as I was leaving to go into town with a friend um, because she had been out. Obviously, she had been called out for for patients before mm-hmm. that. Um, so she knew I was in town and um, she, you know, she was looking out. There's big windows at the hospital. And, you know, she says she couldn't even remember what I was wearing um, when they were bringing everybody in you know, to be um, assessed. Um, so when they assessed me in the hospital, I said to them, look, my mum's a radiographer. She's working over in, in radiography. Can you let her know that I'm here and that I'm okay? I wasn't expecting my mum to come over to me because I knew lots of people would need um, Attention, her help. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But of course, as soon, yeah, but of course, as soon as she knew I was there, she was straight over to me. So I was very fortunate to have her with me. Yes. Um, Mm -hmm. And then my dad had arrived home. He had been working that day and he had arrived home. And he actually came, my sister was at home and and had told him what happened and said that I was in town. And um, like this was before mobile phones were Mm. really bigger, you know, there was no signal or anything in Oma. So anyway, dad went straight out to the hospital and um, we actually, dad, very quickly so I had both mum and dad with me um, when I was transferred to the Royal in Belfast as well which was I I was just so fortunate to have them both there Yes you were it was an awful tragedy um, that day in Oma because I had been Mm -hmm. in Oma two weeks before that with both my sisters and we stopped for coffee in Oma as we always did when we were Mm -hmm. on our way to Donegal so it had a big uh, impact on me that that bomb uh, yeah. I, I I remember it really very well. One of the other ladies might like to ask a question. Uh, uh, good morning, um, Claire. It was lovely speaking with you and um, listening to you being so confident and positive about what was such a, a huge um, part of your life as much as anything else. It must have been a great blessing to have two strong supporters in your family uh, and even for them to be able to say you know, we'll find a way through. Yeah, absolutely. 
Um, and my parents have always been like that. You know, it's been they support me and all my siblings and whatever we want to do. Um, you know, they, they support us. They don't, you know, sort of make decisions for us or things like that. So, <clears throat> and now as the parent myself, yes. I can't imagine how it was for them because you don't want anything to be wrong with your no, children. No, no, you um, don't. And I mean, I was such a determined and, and stubborn in many ways teenager. Um, like I still wanted to go off to university and do all the things that I didn't want to miss out on anything. And that's bound to have been tough on my parents. Yes. And, the, you know, when I was going, but they never stopped me and never, never discouraged me from doing anything that I wanted to do. That was brilliant in itself. And for you, the the relearning or the renegotiating of yourself, how did you find yeah. that? I mean, that's every single thing. Like, even as I say, find, telling the difference in the shampoo and conditioner in the shower. Yes, yes. You know, things that we take for granted, knowing where mm. my toothbrush was um, and that one. Okay. Things, even making a cup of tea or things like that. Um, I had to learn to do them all again. Um, but again, I think, I say I was a stubborn teenager. In hindsight, I think there was probably some denial there as well in that yes. I wasn't going to let what had happened to me hold me back. Um, so I worked to to do as much as I could, and um, I, I am pretty independent. And it, like it comes, I do burn myself when I'm cooking. Yeah. I do you know things like that, and those are the wee reminders that get frustrating. Yes. That if I could see that that wouldn't have happened, um, but uh, it's just I suppose wanting to make the most of of my life. Part of it, part of it. And did you find your other senses became very acute, very fast, or had you to work yes. on that? Uh, it sort of happened over time, and it's something I take for granted. Like, when we had our children, I would have said to my husband, I was, you know, I think he has a temperature, his breathing's got quicker. Oh, yes. And sure, yeah, you know, so things like that that my husband wouldn't even necessarily have been aware of. Um, but, yeah, because I'm relying on my other senses, they definitely are more tuned in. Yes. Claire, on one hand, it is an absolute tragedy that this happened when you were only 15. But I'm just listening to you there now and I'm just wondering if the fact that you were a teenager made you a little bit more resilient, a little bit more brave, a little bit more determined. Would you think? I I think it did. I think because of that stage of my life that I was at, like now I've been blind for much longer than I wasn't blind. Yes. Yeah. Um, mm. And I think because I think if I had been older when it would have when it happened, it would have been harder to adjust um, and adapt. But um, because I was still young and determined and, you know, as they say, I um, think that did make it easier in a way. Yeah. Um, the one thing for me was I, I knew how close I was to not actually being here anymore from my injuries. Gosh, um, yes, I know. That was that was made clear to me in hospital. And that's the the way I have all my always lived my life after. And I'm so privileged to still be here. Um, and I just want to make the most of it. Good morning, Claire. Um, this is Eleanor. Um, morning. I, I was struck by, um, I suppose, the 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 choice that your mother, you know, offered to you on that day in the hospital of yeah. that you can we can either feel sorry or we can get on with it. And your immediate piece was to to grab that part, to grab that kind of sense of hope and determination. 
Um, but you did yeah. say it wasn't all easy. What 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 would you kind of point to or say were the most significant parts of that kind of getting on with the piece for you in the journey over the last number of years? Those things that that um, made the most difference to you? Yeah, well, I know for me, I had to accept, you know, it's things like, um, you know, I had to accept that I was doing things differently. Um, I had to accept that this was part of my life now. Um, I mean, it's, you know, sight loss is described as, you know, you have to be grieved for your sight loss um, and it's all a process. And, um, you know, even still, I would get frustrated at times. You know, it's it's focusing on the sort of the positive side of things, you know, like even like when I had my children, you know, there's like, I, well, I've seen my family and, you know, my parents and my siblings and even my husband because I knew him beforehand they all look much younger in my mm-hmm. sort of vision of, of yeah. how I remember them. Yeah. But, you know, like I've never seen my children mm-hmm. and that can be hard. But again, I don't dwell on that. You know, I think of how lucky I am to have them and how much I'm able to enjoy with them. Um, and again, you know, even sort of, it's just changing my mindset, you know, getting like I could never take them out for a walk on on my own I had to rely on other people to do that but we could go and enjoy fun in the garden you know so it's trying to sort of rather than dwell on the things that I can't do I like to sort of think of the things that that um you know turn it around to you know think well I can still do this and I can still do that and and making the most of those things and um even you know in terms of my work and things like that you know again it'd be very easy to just have taken that attitude of no I can't work sure I can't see but uh, like I opened my own music school in Oma 10 years ago and I teach piano and um the music school is doing very very well and you know again I just make make it work Uh, Claire, I'm going to bring you back a little bit again now. The, the, the start of that journey about making it work. Um, I know the school wanted you back and your friends were ultra supportive of you and brought yeah. you, you, you went and socialised with them and everything. They were just wonderful. Yeah. But the school was also wonderful. Yeah. They wanted you to take more time off before you came back. But you insisted, yes. no, you wanted to go back. Yes. And they made that yes. happen for you too, didn't they? They did. Yeah, and that, again, when you think about it, I mean, 25 years ago, like, it was not the norm for people with any kind of disability to be in mainstream education. Um, So it was a huge ordeal for my school, probably much more than I even realised at the time. Mm -hmm. Um, Because once I had, you know, once I was told that I wouldn't see again and I got home from hospital, like, all my friends were back at school, everybody was back in routine, and I craved that normality mm-hmm. um school had wanted me to take a year out to give myself the chance and I was like no I'm not doing that um, and we we compromised that I would return to school after Halloween in that year in 1998 so that would allow them time to it's only a um, couple of months in place. yeah that was only a couple yeah. of months after yeah it was yeah yeah and I learned to you know so I returned to school um they told me I could drop a couple of subjects just to take the pressure off me. So I dropped science straight away because I didn't like it. And <laughs> I tried. I then, <laughs> unfortunately, had to give up geography because it was just too much of a challenge with the maps. And, mm. I mean, they had tried to do everything to make it accessible. But I remember at that time, 
when I returned to school, so I was doing six subjects for GCSE and um, I was also learning Braille and learning to touch type mm-hmm. and learning mobility. Um, and I used to come home from school just absolutely exhausted. It was really, really physically, you know, physically draining and emotionally draining, I suppose, mm-hmm. mentally draining on me um, just to, having to concentrate in school because I could no longer, you know, use it. I, I didn't have that visual learning. It was all through listening. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just remember at that time being so tired, trying to adapt to everything. But again, I was just determined to to get on with it. And and I did. I did six GCSEs that year and did well enough to get back in to do my A-levels, which was what I wanted at that stage. Um, Claire, was, was music always part of your life? Yeah. Yeah, and did you I find loved, it a help? I always loved it. Did you find it a Big help time. through the hard times? Yeah, I got them to bring a keyboard to the hospital oh, just a week right. after the bomb uh, because I was missing it so much. I used yeah. to I played the piano every day just because I loved it. Yes. Um, and uh, so they brought a keyboard up to the hospital, and that was my. Um, th- I just couldn't wait to get trying it again to see if I could still do it. Yes. And it took me just a few minutes to to get. you know around the feel of it um and i was so glad that i was able to still be able to play and um yeah so i continued with my learning i was working sort of still learning at that stage and yeah so i was able to continue on with piano and of course music um, has was brilliant music has been found to be a a wonderful healer for so many different types of of, uh, diseases and and um even down as far as I, I just think in terms of, of singing and music for COPD and things like that for helping to people. Yeah. And, and so I presume the fact that it, it, it changed the brain patterns to a certain extent to give you a little bit yeah. more uh, focus and confidence and hope. And even just for simple things like my mum always would have said that she knew what mood I was in by how oh. and what I played. Yes. And, um, <clears throat> you know, excuse me, if I was having a bad day, there was nothing better than just sitting and getting my frustrations out in the piano. And, you know, um, it was brilliant even for things like that. And, um, yeah, so it, it was so important. And that's what even now with my students, I would say to parents, look, as long as they're enjoying it, it's a, an escape for them as well, mm-hmm. um, just to be able to go and enjoy their music. You went off to college then, um, uh um, Claire, mm-hmm. I think Elder wants to get in there. I wasn't sure whether she did or not. Mm-hmm. But just, um, I, I, I heard you say that um, you you certainly played your part in your your digs with your your colleagues because you were the cook. Yes, I was the only <laughs> one could cook in the house. Yeah, um, they couldn't. <laughs> yeah. so no, sorry, understanding was. I cooked and they cleaned up and that suited me. Oh, that's <laughs> good. Yeah. No, sorry, Eleanor wanted to get in no, there. No, I, thank you, Geraldine. No, I was just, I, I was thinking as you were talking to Marianne around, you know, music being that kind of therapeutic and that healing piece for you. But I'm just wondering when your passion then becomes your business, you know, mm-hmm. what what's that like? And, you know, what are the challenges there? And, you know, are there parts of the business piece that you actually you know you don't like or they're you know they're they're kind of separate to the passion and the music yeah I I, like they're running a business is something that I don't necessarily enjoy 
Um, and there's times that, like, you know, it's not just a 35, 40 hour week. It's a lot more than that. Um, and, you know, there's times when you're working on sort of business matters and things that you're just sort of like, I know I would be asking myself, why did I do this? Um, yeah. And then I go and teach. And by the end of my teaching on that day, my mindset has totally changed. I'm like, yeah, this is exactly why I do it. Mm -hmm. um, or Ethos, Sonoma Music Academy, is encouraging confidence and creativity through music. Um, and that's exactly what I want for all my students. Um, I want them to become, you know, confident musicians um, that are able to sit down and create at their instrument. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, those that's what keeps keeps me going. That's what burns my fire Um it's, you know, th those are the things that keep it going. The business side of it is hard work, um, but it's it's those other things. And actually, even last night, I came home from work this week had been such a busy week. And, um, and my daughter went straight. She was playing the piano. So I'm teaching her at the minute and she wanted to show me what she had been practicing. And then she was like, Mommy, can we play together? And I'm sort of going in my head. It's like, oh, I've literally come home from a full on week. But mm. yeah, OK. I'm not going to put you mm. off. And you know what? It was just precious to sit and have that time yes. with her. So it was, you know, that then made me think I'm, I'm so fortunate that, yes, it's my job, but it's also my life. Yeah. And they are so lucky to have you. Mm. Uh, <laughs> your husband was childhood sweetheart, really, wasn't he, um, Claire? Sorry, yeah. You met him before yeah. you, uh, before for this accident. So, yes. Yeah. Has he lived up to expectations, Claire? <laughs> <laughs> Much better than I anticipated. Oh, <laughs> and you have three lovely children. So we do, yeah. Yeah. Uh, uh, the question was asked to uh, to you uh, by that podcast that I listened to, and you were asked if, uh, looking back now, do you think about all the things you have missed out on? And your reply was, and I I I really think it it had a big impression a big impression on me that you said no because you were so lucky to have married the man that you remembered and loved and that you had three great mm -hmm. children and that if it hadn't happened none of that might have taken place and you have a lovely happy life I think that is absolutely exactly wonderful it. yeah yeah it's so true <laughs> yeah um obviously this was part of my story um I still don't know why <laughs> but it obviously was and I've just made the most of it and I do like I'm very fortunate and very grateful for the life that I had or have and had things been different I don't know if I would still have that well I don't know how somebody can look at things so very positively like you're doing but I have great admiration for you and I hope you continue to feel like that and that your life continues to be extremely happy Claire, thank you so much for joining us uh, this morning. Uh, I think we've all been affected by uh, talking to you. And if you don't mind, I'm going to play a piece of music that you chose for this other interview. It's uh, one by you two, if that's OK with you. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's one of my favourite songs. Thank you. thank you so much thank for joining much. us. It was a pleasure of meeting thank you. Thank you. you, Claire. Thank Bye -bye. you. Thank you. Bye. Bye. 